Hello, everybody, and welcome to Teaching Writing in College. Uh, I am your host, Tom Skeen, and I'm having a slight technical difficulty here with the slide coming up. There it is. Okay, the driving question is, how can instructors in higher education leverage theory, science, pedagogy, and craft most effectively to help their learners with writing? And I have to apologize. I meant to post this episode a couple of weeks ago, and I lost it somewhere on my hard drive. Uh, I looked for it for a while and was unable to find it, and I have not had a chance to re-record this episode. So this is a re-recording after the Thanksgiving break. I meant to have it probably about a week before the Thanksgiving break, if I remember right. I remember doing it. I just don't remember where it went. But uh, thank you for joining me today. And I wanted to follow up with a second episode on this theme. Writing is made of genres, and genres are made of rocks. And you might remember from episode 15, where I introduced the same motto. I guess you could call it a class motto. I like to use it in my classes, have my students repeat it with me, simply because it uh, you know, sort of helps them learn you know, what one of the most important aspects of their knowledge is that they are gaining in a writing course. And writing is made of genres, and genres are made of rocks. Uh, the second part of that is simply what rocks means, which is uh, recurring occasion, content, structure, and style. And as a quick review, it's something that I, a shorthand way that I uh, came up with uh, over time. Um, I didn't just make it up one day. I, uh, I had some other similar, uh, at least one other similar um, acronym that I was using in my classes, and that one was a little more awkward, and so I eventually settled on rocks. And I'll go into that history a little bit too. I think it's kind of fun to look back on my own teaching and see uh, how it has changed. And so uh, we'll get to that too in episode three or four of this little series and uh, or part three or four, I guess, in this little series. And um, uh, I'll, I'll go through that. And also where I got it from, I think it'll be important to talk about where I got it from. I would say, uh, you know, kind of in my own scholarship on learning transfer through my reading, I was able to kind of find this and say, you know what, I really need to take this into the classroom. I keep talking to my students about genre and I don't really give them a framework to think about it. And so um, eventually rocks uh, made its way into my vocabulary and I have uh, used it ever since as a way to frame my classes. But uh, recurring occasion, content, structure, and style. And so uh, to get started then, um, I have here just a screenshot. Well, it's not a screenshot. It's a photograph of a children's dictionary that I found in my son's room. Um, I think it got into our house via his grandmother. Uh, she uh, found it. It had been discarded, and she thought, you know, well, here's one place where we could use it. You know, my, my kids are still on the young side, and my son is just the right age to have a dictionary like this. And my other kids, I think, would enjoy it too. I should get it out more. But um, it, uh, I think, is a really good example of just to explain how rocks works. And this is kind of how I go through it with my students a little bit. So I just wanted to give an overview of rocks using this uh, page from a children's dictionary as an example. And so uh, just to start off, just, just the first part, recurring occasion, um, you know, as we know rhetoric, uh, genre, uh, they rely very much on recurrence. And so it's important to have that, I think, as part of the definition of a genre. And so recurring occasion, I just have some questions that I ask students. And what I'm kind of doing here is I'm going through what I like to call a rocks analysis, which I do in the classroom quite a bit. 
and I just walk them through. I might give them an example like this, usually a smaller genre, you know, something that they don't need to spend a lot of time looking at, like a dictionary entry, or I have also a um, uh, nutrition label uh, toward the end of this presentation. I like to bring things like that in, just everyday genres that I like to use just to think about how genre works. And then sometimes I also like to mix in genres, just screenshots of partial screenshots or just parts of genres that they might see themselves encountering in the future. So I you know, like to survey my students about what their majors are, what they feel like their anticipated careers are. And then I go and I try to do some research and find things that they may find themselves reading or writing when they uh, get into their careers. Uh, one example that's just coming up to me now is I've, I've got a lot of psychology majors and I also have a self-help book about uh, parenting and written by uh, uh, two uh, psychologists or psychiatrists. And so if I bring an example that of that in, maybe just a page or an excerpt from a book, I could put that up here too and uh, have students talk about it. But here I've got just a simple page from a children's dictionary. So questions I like to ask my students for the recurring occasion, what kind of writing is this and what is it used for? Because that really, I think, gets to the heart of the recurring occasion, what it's used for. If we think back to Carolyn Miller's uh, genre as social action, which is one of the big influences for me here with rocks, um, that you know really helps open up, I think, a discussion about how a particular kind of writing might work and how students might approach uh, working with that writing or uh, mimicking that kind of writing in the classroom. Who writes these? Who reads them? So who are the authors and audiences? That also kind of helps get to what it's used for. What central questions are in play as they are being written or used? Another one, I like to think of that as well. You know, when you think about writers and authors, usually there is some kind of question or some kind of need, some kind of exigence that is happening, and it can often be articulated in a question. And so in this case, um, a question like, you know, what does this word mean would prompt somebody to actually use the dictionary. And so it helps us get back up to the idea of use. And so if somebody is playing Scrabble or if they're doing some homework in the case of a child with this dictionary, then um, uh, one of the central questions is what is this word used for or what is this word? What does it mean? Um, how is it spelled? Uh, how is it pronounced? And things of, of that nature. Uh, are part of the recurring occasion here. Um, who writes dictionary entries? Um, my understanding is it's a, a panel of uh, linguists and other scholars who kind of keep track of our language and uh, help determine over time what words belong in the language, which ones are getting outdated, which they might still keep, and then, you know, mark is outdated. Um, what the words mean, uh, they would articulate that. What part of speech are they? So uh, we've got people keeping track of this for us at places like, uh, uh, you know, merriamwebster.com nowadays. And so um, uh, they're the ones who write them, and then we use them. We might use them in schools. Um, nowadays, we could have a discussion about this too. You know, dictionaries often are found online, and you put something in Google, and it will give you a bunch of definitions, and I'm sure the same is true of ChatGPT nowadays. I have not uh, tried that yet. I haven't asked it for a definition of a word. But um, these older ones like this, um, pages on in a book, uh, I remember these being in libraries in you know the universities I've attended in my high school. I remember a big dictionary being on a stand there in the library, and uh, they can be found there too.
But anyway, the recurring occasion, what kind of writing is this and what is it used for? And it's something that just keeps happening over and over again. We keep having questions about the language. The language keeps developing. And so we keep uh, keeping track of it through dictionaries. And uh, we keep having questions. People keep playing Scrabble or they keep uh, finding uh, a need in school uh, to use a dictionary like this. And so uh, my son, uh, I remember with his homework, there have been some times uh, in the fourth grade last year, he had some assignments, I think maybe once a week even, where he really had to kind of dissect some of the vocabulary and some of the spelling words that he was learning. And uh, we could have done it through this because we had it on the shelf. I didn't think about it at the time, and so I got one of the dictionary apps on my phone, and he used that. But uh, recurring occasion. Um, content. What content is typical in a dictionary entry? Pretty uh, straightforward. It's got the word, of course, and the pronunciation, the part of speech. Like if we look at the word honest here, um, we've got uh, the word, then the pronunciation, honest, then it's an adjective uh, that is indicated. Then it's got the three definitions. Along And in those definitions, it also has some examples of usage. That's all pretty typical of dictionary entries. So first definition, free from fraud or trickery, straightforward. So it's also got a synonym in there, it looks like. And then a brief example of usage, an honest answer. So it's being used as an adjective there. Um, two, not given to cheating, stealing, or lying, upright, trustworthy. So some more synonyms there. And uh, down at the bottom, it actually has a a space with synonyms, and it says synonyms, see upright, for those of you who can't, uh, if, if you're listening on Apple or Google. But um, So that's pretty typical for the content of it, and uh, uh, it just most dictionaries will just kind of walk someone through those basic items. And then, of course, there will be some variations. So when I think of other dictionaries, an example I bring into my classes a lot, it comes from uh, a dictionary online, uh, which is not a children's dictionary, and then it would give, you know, um, nearly complete sentences in some cases. So it, they, they'll do things a little bit differently sometimes. There will be some variation in the way that they approach content because genres also vary. We can't forget that, and uh, maybe we can talk about that sometime too. And, I, I, you know, an, another thing as I'm thinking about this, just with the content or the recurring occasion, you know, it's important to have students see lots of examples within the same genre. Uh, so sometimes, you know, if I were using this in class, I could bring in uh, examples from a few other dictionaries and ask them, well, why are there these variations? Um, or if I'm asking them to do a particular type of writing, like a review or something like that, something my students just finished, then it helps to have several examples that they can look at because it, uh, you know, just one example would never be representative of a genre, and some genres can vary more than others. Uh, but I think, you know, once again, one thing that kind of unifies them is the occasion, the recurring occasion, what it is they are used for that uh, helps define them. So we can't lose sight of that. So it's important to note that and then also think about some of the different examples that we can find of the same genre to show the variation. So typical content there. Structure, how is this type of communication structured? Um, visually and textually, I like to think of both of those when I talk about structure with students. And so if we go back to this example of the word honest again in my children's dictionary here, 
Um, it uh, starts with the main thing that somebody would use to look it up, of course, to make it easy. So uh, the actual word, honest, is there. It's all in alphabetical order. That's part of the structure. And then it just kind of walks through some of the, the typical things that help somebody become familiar with the word, such as the pronunciation and the part of speech and then the uh, definitions themselves and so on. So that's uh, the, the basic sort of textual structure. And it also, you know, if you think about this in terms of familiar to unfamiliar, which I shared a few episodes ago, a strategy that I use for organizing or structuring writing with students, then uh, it seems to follow that too. It's not going to start with something like being just what is indicated, that third definition there of the word honest. If we, if the dictionary were to do that, nobody would ever be able to find the word honest. And so it's organized alphabetically. It's organized beginning with something that people would be familiar with when they are looking for the word, which is honest. The spelling, um, it starts with H, so they're going to go look for the H's. That's what they're going to find first. And then uh, a pretty typical, I think, close question is how do you pronounce this? I think that happens quite a bit as well. Uh, early on as they're getting familiar with the word, and then it can go into the content after that. Um, visually, also, uh, there's some variation that helps a reader understand what they're looking at. You know, there's the definition, there's honest, there's the entry, but then within that entry there is some visual differentiation. So the word honest itself is uh, in bold, uh, so it stands out a little bit better. It uh, also has a hanging indent. You know, there's the word honest, and then everything underneath that is indented slightly so that uh, it's easier to find the words themselves. Uh, the uh, def different definitions are labeled one, two, three. Um, the part of speech adjective is in italics. The pronunciation, the linguistic pronunciation, is in brackets, and then it's got uh, a, a linguistic transcription there instead of just, you know, the word again. And the synonyms are in uh, sort of a, a capital letter font instead of a more traditional font and so on and so forth. So there's a lot of visual structure here as well. The page itself is in columns, so we've got the three columns there. All of those things help the reader uh, find what they need to find visually. And uh, that could also be used maybe in some genres more than other more than others, visual representations might also be used to sort of influence the way that the reader perceives whatever they are looking at. And so uh, that's an important part of visual structure as well. So there's structure, style. How does the writing in this genre typically sound? And so um, I like to do it that way with students. I, I kind of define style that way because if you put different genres together and you read them, or if I were to read something like this blind to students where I didn't tell them what it was, but I read it to them, they'd probably guess that it's a dictionary entry or something along those lines, maybe an encyclopedia. But um, you know, different kinds of writing can sound different. And this uh, is a good example, I think. Um, this dictionary entry is a good example of how that can happen. And if I, I've got a list here. I've got... Um, uh, several things that I, I like to kind of bring into the classroom with students when we talk about style, um, sociolinguistics and sociopragmatics. Um, and I want to just give a shout out to Kristen DiGennaro. There's a, 
an encyclopedia that I'm co-editing, and she wrote an entry. She's at Pace University, and she wrote an entry on sociopragmatics. Um, and uh, sometimes I think style uh, fits well with that. I just, when I was reading her entry, I thought of this, and so I'm gonna, you know, take some of what she said into the classroom, you know, as a way to help students. But she said sociolinguistics is about the social expectations of how language is used in a given context, and that fits right along with genre, uh, to my mind, simply because different genres get used in different contexts. And then sociopragmatics is also about the structure of the text, and so some of the linguistic structure that helps the reader follow along. Uh, so that's a, I, you know, just putting that within genre, I think, is a really great uh, way to help students just give them some tools to kind of describe style and describe how the the writing is working at the linguistic level. Um, diction also, I think, can be important. Um, different kinds of writing often could contain different kinds of diction because different kinds of writing are about different things. And so diction can be a uh, sort of a clue as to why the writing is exists and what it's being used for and who wrote it and so on. Um, another one I like to call tone, just uh, uh, the idea that, you know, there could be different ways of sounding, uh, different moods, things along those lines. For, and so I just use the word tone there for students. Sentence structure. Um, this dictionary, I like to bring in dictionaries because they are a great example of this. Um, it's, it's not written in a complete sentence. My definition of honest here, it just says, it doesn't say honest means free from fraud or trickery. It just has free from fraud or trickery. And so it skips the subject in this case. And Different kinds of writing sometimes will uh, change the grammar, so and then it helps change the way that they sound. Um, academic articles often might uh, have kind of, or business especially, I think, might have kind of a straightforward sentence structure where there's not a lot of variation. But then when you look at things that are made more for popular consumption, for example, uh, there could be a lot of uh, sentence variation in there. Uh, so sentence structure and grammatical choices there. Uh, the last one, li linguistic register and formality. Um, that's another way, I think, to kind of get at what uh, different genres might allow for different kinds of formality um, or variations within genres, depending on the, the situation, depending on the occasion, might allow for different kinds of formality. But uh, uh, different linguistic registers might be associated with different genres as well. And once again, I am kind of creating a, a broad brush here, but I, the idea is just to give students ways to describe the way they're writing sounds so that when they are working with a particular genre on their own, I can encourage them to be dynamic and say, okay, well, let's look at the sentence structures that are happening in these movie reviews, which are not academic articles, and uh, the writing is going to sound more casual. Um, it's going to sound more colloquial. Uh, let's see if you can practice that. And sometimes students will be uncomfortable and they will want to avoid uh, sounding too informal. But uh, the idea is to help them become dynamic as writers and to, to be flexible so that they can uh, think about how they might shift to different genres. It can become a, a metacognitive exercise too. You know, sometimes after a, a discussion of style, I might ask them, well, how did you feel as you tried to be less formal. We're in an academic setting here, I know, but uh, how did you feel when it came to being less formal in your writing? 
And so lots of great things could come out of style and uh, the other ones as well. But uh, just for uh, an extra uh, bit of contrast here, I also have one on my next slide. Another example of writing this time, it is a food label uh, from a gallon of or a half gallon of milk it looks like that I took a picture of once and I've taken this into class before um, and uh, I've got style there on my screen but uh, you can talk about the entire thing recurring occasion content structure and style and uh, what I'll usually do you know once students get familiar with that sometimes at the beginning of class I will just or anywhere really during class if I want to break up the lesson a bit or get some variation going I will put something like this up on the screen and ask them to do a rocks analysis and where they would describe the recurring occasion. What is it used for? Who writes them? Who reads them? Uh, the content, the structure, and the style. Uh, just to get them used to describing genres and to get used to looking at writing in terms of genre so that they also can be comfortable switching genres because the last thing they're going to do when they leave uh, college is write college essays. They're going to be writing other kinds of things. And I think just a really solid foundation, uh, kind of a working pra practical foundation in genre can be really helpful. So they can uh, sort of decode writing in terms of genre and then ask themselves, you know, how can I adapt? Um, I've got this occasion here. Here's this thing that keeps happening. And I'm seeing this kind of writing in this new context. There's It's being used for something here. So how can I uh, write something similar so that it can be used for the thing that I'm seeing writing being used for? And so that's the idea. Uh, it's kind of a good vehicle to help them carry their knowledge of writing outside of the classroom. And also, the next thing that can happen after rocks uh, is they can also have a lot of strategies. I like to spend a lot of time with a lot of other strategies that help support recurring occasion content structure and style. And so, for example, um, strategies related to invention can be really helpful for content. And so that's something that students really need as well. And uh, different strategies for structuring writing and uh, practice with lots of variation in terms of style. Uh, writing to sound like different genres can be really helpful to them just so that they really kind of internalize that and then also get flexible with tools that will support, rhetorical tools that will support their shifts from genre to genre. So that's what I have for today. And I once again apologize that I didn't get the this episode out sooner. And I will continue working on this. I think I have ideas for two more about rocks. Uh, writing is made of genres and genres are made of rocks. So I think we'll see a part three and a part four in the coming weeks here. And um, that's what my plans are. So thanks again so much. I hope you are having a smooth ending toward as we get toward the end of the semester. And I hope things are going well for you. I appreciate you tuning in and listening. And I will be back again soon. Thank you so much. Have a good day.